Good morning, it's very good to be here and see you. I was just thinking there are little faces I've never seen who are here today because uh, this is the first time I've been back in this building since it was fully opened up because of being at Southbourne on holiday and back at Southbourne last week. So it's very good to see you. So there's some people I've never seen before. And also, just interestingly, there are people who've died since we were here 18 months ago. I've got this week the fourth funeral to take just this year. So um, it's exciting to see new people and sad to think that there are people who are not here with us uh, anymore. We have been, this year, our theme has been Restoring the Broken, uh, which continues until the end of this year and hopefully way beyond. And today we're starting a series on the Holy Spirit, and I'm hoping that the connection will become clear as to why this is part of Restoring the Broken. Today we're going to look at Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So John chapter 1 we're going to look at. It'll come up on the screen. I'm going to start reading at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, which John, of course, was famous for, was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is a hugely rich passage. There is so much in it. John announces Jesus with three descriptions, all of which, of course, are crucially rooted in Old Testament theology and imagery. So he says, first of all, verse 29, look, the Lamb of God. You see, Jesus had come to be that once-for-all sacrifice that would, pre, that would put an end to the never-ending cycle of sacrifices in the Old Testament. He is the one complete sacrifice for sins that we all need. Verse 34, he is God's chosen one. He's the servant who's come as God's chosen one. Where Israel had failed to be obedient, Jesus came as the obedient servant, God's son, who would lead the entire people of God into a right relationship with God and in, with power to follow right living for God. And then verse 33, which is particularly important for today. Verse 33, John announces that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to inaugurate the new covenant in which the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all who trust in him, not as in Old Testament days, on some, at some times, for some occasions, but on all God's people equally would be full of the Holy Spirit. The baptizer is coming. John is announcing that you should be drenched with the Holy Spirit, that you should be immersed with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was crucial, a crucial part of the Old Testament messianic hope 
that there would be one, one day, who would do all manner of things. But one of the things he would do was this. He would bring in the age of the Spirit. He would baptize all in the Spirit. So Ezekiel chapter 36, for a start. I will give you, God says through Ezekiel, a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone that's hard and doesn't obey and give you a soft heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then, of course, famously, Joel chapter 2. Joel announces God saying, I will pour my spirit on all people. Not just some, that's sometimes for some special events. This is what the Messiah would come and do. You see, the salvation that Jesus has won for us is gloriously multifaceted. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're trusting him, let me declare something amazing to you this morning that should blow your minds. You're forgiven. You were expecting something novel, weren't you, or different? It is mind-blowing and astonishing that all your wrongdoing, past, present, and future, gets cleansed and washed and wiped away and no longer prevents you from the presence of God. It's astounding. You're justified. Can you, can you believe it? You're justified. You're as guilty as hell, sir. But God, it's true, but God has declared you are no longer guilty because the guilt has been taken because, and your, his son has been condemned instead of you. And therefore he can say, the debt has truly been paid, guilt has rightly been punished, you're free. You're forgiven, you're justified, you're reconciled. The chasm that lay between God and you because of your sin and his holiness has been bridged in Christ and you are brought into a right relationship with God the Father. You've been adopted. You were an enemy of God. You hated him in your heart. You didn't want to be submitted to him. But he has adopted you and in doing so changed your heart and regenerated you. You are now a child of God. What a fact that is. It's astonishing. He wants you. He's accepted you. And he's brought you right into his family. And we are brought into not just trying harder to keep all that in place, we are brought into new life in the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what happened at the beginning of the church, and it's what is meant to keep happening as the church continues. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is very soon to ascend, and Jesus says this, on one occasion, Luke is writing, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For, remember back to the words of John 1 that we just read, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's saying to the early church as they gather in expectation, he's saying to them, what John promised, what the Old Testament spoke about, what Ezekiel spoke about, what Joel spoke about, what Isaiah spoke about, is coming. In a few days, the Spirit is arriving in new ways. And then you flick over to Acts chapter 2. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit has come. A bit of chaos breaks out. They spill out onto the streets and people, they're so dramatically transformed that people are saying they must be drunk. Peter stands up and he says this. He stood up with all the others and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. There's a huge crowd there. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you most suppose. They're not intoxicated by wine. They're not under the influence of wine. It's only nine in the morning, for goodness sake, he says. Not for goodness sake, I've just added that. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Remember, we read this earlier. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. What was promised is happening gloriously. Goes on later, Peter does, about Jesus exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The promise has been delivered. And then later on, down in verse 38, He says to them all, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who's this for? This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Pentecost was in one sense a unique event, but it was not the only event. Ever since Jesus was ascended to the Father's right hand, he has been pouring out the Spirit. And that is the expectation that we have today too. It's important before I carry on, just to make a very few quick points about the Holy Spirit. You see, Christians do not only believe in God. I'll qualify that, don't worry. Christians do not only believe in God. Christians believe that God is Trinity. Crucially, Christians believe. It's not a a little bit that you can add or take away. It is utterly and completely foundational to the Christian faith. Christians believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each equally and fully God. Each distinct And yet perfect in unity. God is one and three. This diagram, if you like diagrams, this will help. If you don't, it will confuse you. Don't worry. God is Father. Father is God. Son is God. Holy Spirit is God. But they're not, they're they're distinct too. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit leads us to faith and repentance. The Holy Spirit causes us to be born again, to turn to God and say, I need you. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live God-honoring lives. Let's go back to John chapter 1. See, at some point, the Holy Spirit has revealed to John what he says in verse 33, 
The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John has said, verse 32, I saw, which I think was at John's baptism, I saw the Spirit come down and from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And now on this day that we've read about in John chapter 1, John is announcing to all who are listening, this is the one. He's here. The promises are being delivered. The Holy Spirit is on him, remaining on him. He's full of the Spirit, which was what Jesus said of himself. He stood up in, in Capernaum one day in the synagogue, and he said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. But crucially, here's John's point. John's point is this, that crucially, Jesus is not only full of the Spirit himself, but he's going to baptize all who will follow him in the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Spirit on him, anointing him, he's going to pour out the Spirit on and anoint all of God's people. Let me tell you, folks, this is our birthright. This isn't some wing this Pentecostal wing over here. This isn't some ex, you know, extrovert, exuberant bunch over here. This is your birthright. Christ died and rose again that you might be forgiven, that you might be reconciled, that you might be justified, that you might be adopted, and that you might be full of the Spirit. So if I were to ask you this, what <clears throat> comes into your mind when you think of being full of the Holy Spirit? Maybe who comes into your mind when you think of being full of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Before you embarrass yourself with a silly answer, I'll answer it for you. The answer is Jesus. He is our model of life in the Spirit as he is in all things. One writer said this, there is no greater evidence of the presence and power of the Spirit than someone's life and character being steadily transformed into the beauty of Christ. So while Jesus was uniquely full of the Holy Spirit, he is our model of life in the Holy Spirit. And let me encourage you with this astounding thing that it is the very same Holy Spirit who is in us who was in Jesus. That is an astonishing and astounding fact. He's even called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of his Son. So John famously records Jesus saying this because he says he's going to go and they're distraught, the disciples are, understandably. But he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, crucial word, another advocate, another comforter, another helper to help you and be with you forever. He could have said another different spirit to be with you. Greek uses two different words for another. English just has one. He could have said another that's different. But when he says, I will send you another Here's what he's saying. I'm going to send you another who is just like me. Here are two books. This one has got to go away. 
I'm going to give you this one. You might think, oh, it's different. Well, it's housed slightly differently. But let me tell you, this is exactly word for word, the same number of pages. This is the same. Let me give it to you. You have another of the same as the original that I have. You know, Jesus, Jesus helps us to know not just what he's like, but what Father is like and what Spirit is like. One day, Philip's confused, and he says to Jesus, show us the way. And Jesus comes back to him and says, surely you know the way. And he said, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus said this, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you, know what, do you want to know what the Father's like? God the Father's like? Can I tell you? He's just like Jesus. Distinct from Jesus, but just like Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus helps us to know what the Father's like. And Jesus helps us, he explained there in John chapter 14, to know what the Spirit is like. Distinct from Jesus, but just like Jesus. Let me encourage you with this, if nothing else this morning, the same Holy Spirit who empowered the life of Jesus in his humanity empowers your life as a human follower of Jesus. Wonderful and amazing. So before next week, when we look at how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to ask this, in what ways is Jesus our model? If he's full of the Holy Spirit, what, would, what does it look like for him to be full of the Holy Spirit? How did he live that life? Well, let me give you, give you an image to hopefully take away. A sailing boat. I have not the first idea about sailing, except that you do it on water. I know nothing about sailing. But I want you to see the sail of that boat and see it full of the wind empowering it. It's a very different image than a static image like a cup full of water. That water is having no dynamic effect on that cup. The wind is having a dynamic effect on that boat. Dynamic, not necessarily in terms of dramatic, but in terms of empowering, activating, enlivening. And so with the image of the sailing boat in mind, I think we can say these two things about Jesus. You could say lots of things, but I'm going to say these two things about Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. His course was set and his sail was up. His course was set and his sail was up. Firstly, his course was set on obedience. Every sailor has a destination. I mean, I should say that. I have, as I say, I have no idea about sailing, but I assume you get in a boat to go somewhere. You might need to adapt your route along the way, but basically, I'm getting in my boat because I want to go there, or I want to go over there, or even do a circular tour. But you've got a destination in mind, I'm absolutely convinced from the Gospels that if you had asked Jesus on any day, what are your plans today, Jesus? 
I think he would have replied on any and every day, my plan today is to obey my Father's will. I'm convinced of that. He said one time, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Another time he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' heart and mind and will were set, set on obedience, on doing what he had been given to do. He prayed at one point in John 17, very soon before he was to die, I have brought you glory, Father, by finishing the work you gave me to do. And you remember on the cross, one of his cries on the cross was, it is finished. The work you've sent me to do, I've done it. I've finished. He was set on obedience to his Father's will. I would say obedience is not a favorite word of most Christians in the 21st century. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right when he said, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Which is no less than Jesus himself said. <laughs> in the context crucially, of promising the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commands. For those of you who are familiar with that statement, let me tell you how outrageous it is. If I woke up this morning and said to my wife, if you love me, obey my commands, I hope she would get up and walk out. If any church leader said to you, if you love me, obey my commands. You should leave that church quickly. If your boss tries to manipulate you and blackmail you and say, well, if you love me, if you love this company, you'd obey what we're telling you to do. You should run a mile. But Jesus has the right to say that because he is God. He also said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whatever else the Spirit does, and he does, multiple ways, he empowers those whose course is set on obedience. Which Jesus demonstrated, of course, ultimately in Gethsemane. He knows he's about to be crucified. He's been with his disciples. They're asleep. He's in that garden, and he is in agony. Let's make no bones about it. He is troubled deeply. He is in deep, sorrowful agony of soul. And he doesn't get his prayer answered. Because he says to his father, if there's another way, is there another way, father, than going through with this awful, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental torture and torment? And he knows there isn't another way. But that tells you the degree of pain and trouble that he's in. What's his famous words? Yet not my will, but your will. This is our model of the Spirit-filled life. I believe you'll find that being full of the Holy Spirit has a huge amount to do with obedience. 
with setting your heart and mind and will on God, you are first. That's the life the Holy Spirit will empower. His course was set on obedience, and secondly, his sail was up in dependence. So again, being full of the Holy Spirit is not a static matter. I could get a balloon and blow it up, and it would be full of air. But it's a very static thing. It's not doing anything. Much more appropriate is the image of the sail, the wind filling the sail to empower it on the course that it's set. And please note this. Jesus didn't serenely, simply sail along without any difficulty because, well, he's the son of God. It was easy for him. He should try being me. Nothing like it at all. There's no question that obedience to his father was at least in part through dependence on the Holy Spirit. See, the life that is set on obedience achieves obedience not only through courageous decisions, but by the power of the Holy Spirit filling our sails and moving us towards the Father's will. And if Jesus needed the power of the Spirit in order to do that, then what about you and I? We surely need him. The sail up, apparently you do it like this. Is that right? Is there any sailor in the room? No? Must be someone here. We live by the coast. A sailor. Is this sort of right for hoisting a sail? Oh. Other way around. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, to bring it down, you bring it down that way, you put it up this way. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm putting my sail up. (laughs) Putting the sail up says this. It says, I need power. Anyone here need power? No? Okay, one. Thank you, Catherine. There's a few. I don't know what the rest of you are on, but I need some of it. I need some power, don't you? To live this life. I've set my course. Lord, I'm, I'm choosing to be obedient. I will put all my energies. I'll seek to have my heart and mind and will aligned to your will. But even so, that's not enough. I need power. I'll tell you what, that's what Jesus came to give. This is our privilege. This is our plea. How do you put your sail up? Very quickly. You put your sail up like this. There's all sorts of ways. Let me give you two very quickly. Listen to his word. Please listen to his word. Put your sail up. Lord, I want to do your will. Empower me. Fill me. Help me. Get his word open. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. It's not truth or spirit. It's truth by the Spirit, isn't it? Open his word. Listen to his word and listen to his promptings. You know those little moments sometimes when you feel convicted of sin? Obey it. You know those little moments when you're prompted to phone so-and-so and you wonder why, or to do this, or to take that up? You might want to check it out with somebody, but listen to his word and listen to his promptings. Can I encourage you to set your course on obedience? It's going to be very tough, but he's worthy, isn't he? 
set your course on obedience. And let me encourage you, there is power for that life. As Jesus demonstrated, full of the Spirit, to pour out the Spirit on we who desperately need him. Which way was it? This way. Maybe we should all do it. No, we won't all do that. That'll be awkward. Let's get our sails up. There's power available. And we need it.